Salt Lab Radio is brought to you by Silver Sea Cruises. With more than a thousand destinations over seven continents, including exclusive culinary adventures on the all-new Silver Moon, Silver Sea travels deeper. Hey, it's Adam. We traveled to record this episode last January, before COVID-19 became a global pandemic. As we remain at home, we're thinking of our friends all around the world. And in the spirit of future travels, we're excited to share these stories. Hi. <laughs> My name is Alberto Tasca. We are here in Regaliali, so welcome here in Sicily. Thank you. And what does Regaliali mean? Regaliali is an estate in the heart of Sicily, in the middle of nowhere in Sicily, in the hills. The name comes from uh, Arabs. It means the domain of Ali, Riaha Ali. And uh, my family bought this estate in 1830. When it comes to Sicily, 1830 is recent history. Homer wrote about the island thousands of years ago in the Odyssey, around the 9th century BC, introducing the world to Sicily's rugged beauty, to its abundance, and even to its food and wine. From 11 BC, the Phoenicians settled here. Then the Greeks, the Arabs, the Spanish, the Bourbon kings all eventually ruled this land. By the time Roman rule began in the 2nd century BC, Sicily's culture of cooking and hospitality was already famous throughout the region. Some of the earliest known writing about food and recipes came from here. The first school for professional cooks was founded in ancient Syracusa. Anybody who was anybody in the Roman world had a Sicilian chef. The great writer and historian Mary Taylor Semeti, who we'll hear from later in the show, writes about one of Sicily's first great scholars of food, Archistratus, comparing him to a 4th century Michelin inspector. She says he could tell, quote, the difference in flavor between a mullet caught during a waxing moon and one taken during the waning. Which is all to say, the story of food and wine in Sicily is maybe as epic as the Odyssey itself. And I know one family, the Toscas, who truly operate on an epic scale. They embody the generosity, the exuberant focus, the depth of character and beauty that makes the island a beloved destination for eaters and drinkers from all around the world. There's so much going on in Sicily and with the Tosca family that this episode is the first of two parts about how an unlikely location ultimately became Wine Enthusiast's 2020 European Winery of the Year, about one family's connection to the natural world and to each other, and about an island that sees itself as a continent where cultures have converged, where the land is rich in minerals and mythology, where the net result feels like a miracle. Welcome aboard and welcome to Sicily. This is Salt Lab Radio. Angels singing. That's pretty much what happens when you land in Palermo and start eating. Before the two-hour drive to Regaliali, we stopped in town to visit an old monastery called Santa Caterina. We didn't come to pray, we'd come for the pastry. The monastery, which dates to 1596, is known for its history of sweet making, including the colorful Casata Frida, a small ricotta-based cake glistening with candied fruit. We walk through the Bellaro and Vucaria markets for plates of cedro, or citron, one of the dozens of citrus varieties available here. It's sliced, then salted, and eaten raw, including the pith. Even a quick market tour speaks to Sicily's history as a crossroads of many cultures. 
Mary Taylor Samedi draws a line between our stroll and Alexander the Great. With Alexander, products were continually coming in from, from the east because many of the things that we think of as Sicilian, really, uh, all the citrus fruit were originally from southern China and they went from via India and then Alexander brought the citron back. And then it wasn't until the Arabs that there were lemons and oranges, and then sweet oranges with the Portuguese. So it's all been coming in. And that's been, to me, the most fascinating, apart from the absolutely fantastic quality of the products of Sicily and the real sophistication which which they combine very simple things into a, an amazing taste experience, is that it's a, it's a tradition that goes way, way back, and there haven't been any abrupt breaks in it. It's always been an adding on. The new the new invaders brought this and that just was spread on to the layers before. And certainly in the Western world, the oldest continuous cooking, the culinary tradition. I wasn't leaving Palermo without a penne con la milza. That's one of Palermo's famous sandwiches. Veal lung and spleen, boiled, fried, sliced, and stuffed into a soft sesame roll. We even managed a quick lunch with renowned cookbook author, culinary expert, and extremely charming person, Anissa Halou. Her writing on the Mediterranean and Islamic food worlds are transporting and essential. Anissa recently relocated here to nearby Tropani. Her home overlooks the sea. Anissa describes the allure of Sicily as narcotic, remembering one of her first visits to the island to spend time harvesting olives with Mary Taylor Samedi. There's a recipe for jam, very famous here, jasmine granita or jasmine ice cream. And we were there in September, jasmine season, so I picked the jasmine flowers and I made it, following Mary's recipe. And it was almost like a drug. It was so heady and so amazing. Anissa was hooked. It's easy to see why. It's like a movie, so you decide you have to schedule an appointment, and then something happens, and you start to talk with somebody, and you spend half an hour talking about, I don't know, life with somebody that you never met. So it's, uh, we have a word that is difficult to translate in other languages, that is uh, allegria, allegro. Allegro, you, you found it in, 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 in music. Allegro means when you, you feel good, you smile, but it's not laughing. But, I mean, you feel... That life is nice. <laughs> it is like a movie, just like Alberto Tosca says. From Palermo, the drive to Regaliali hugs the coast before turning inland, climbing over rocky peaks and descending back into fertile valleys. The estate itself is tucked between rolling hills. Grapes, grains, and wildflowers blanket the landscape. When we arrive, the sun is setting. Everything is turning gold. Could it all be a mirage, a fantasy? Alberto welcomes us, standing in a courtyard beside a huge and stately magnolia tree with bottles of sparkling wine ready to pop. He begins sharing his story and his family's. That's all gilded too. Alberto comes from nobility. His father, Lucio, is the Count of Almerita. His wife is a princess whose lineage includes a pope. Alberto Tasca, 49 years old, comes from a line of counts that dates back to 1846, when the title was officially granted to the family. His older brother, Giuseppe, gets the title next. It was the eventual first Count of Almerita, Don Lucio Mastro Giovanni Tasca, and his brother Don Carmelo, who brought Regaliali into the family fold seven generations ago. 
agricultural activity on the property is known to date back to at least 1175. Vineyard activity traces back to at least 1580. The Tuscas purchased the House of Ali and its 1200 hectares not from Ali or his descendants, but from a Spanish Grand Duke. About 30 of those hectares were used as fruit orchards and for vineyards. The current size of the property, which was halved during land reform in the 50s, is 540 hectares. About 400 of those hectares grow grapes today. Two brothers, they bought it in 1830 and they were really a big passionate about agriculture in general. And they had other properties all around Sicily and that was quite unusual because in a logistic uh, sense uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, all the, the rich part of the, the agriculture was planting close to the coast for a logistic reason, for it was easier to sell from there. And I think they were impressed about the quality here and they started to make uh, a lot of new, a lot of innovation in these estates. That was great. Alberto says most people wouldn't even know to look for Regali Ali, that it remains a hidden paradise. It's not close to the highway, it doesn't bring you to anywhere else instead of here. It's not a destination. To it's not visit. a destination, yeah. It's not really developed, and, and, uh, and that's the way it's quite untouchable. I mean, untouched from, from uh, humans, <laughs> from humans, and that's, uh, if you go around here and you walk, you can see that it's a totally uncontaminated uh, area, and that's, that's why it's really beautiful at the moment, it's still how it was before. The craft of winemaking in Sicily goes back to ancient times, but for much of the 20th century, the grapes here were used to produce blends, sold in bulk to strengthen wines from elsewhere. Only more recently have Sicilian wines become critically coveted and admired for the diverse microclimates and soils in which their grapes grow. Sicilian soil, from the volcanic dirt of Etna to the salty flats of Mozia to the sandy loam at Regaliali, is amongst the most varied in Italy. The totally uh, revolution in wine happened uh, not many years ago. So before that, when I started to work to join our family company was the 1993. I cannot forget the first market research about Sicilian perception. Imagine that Sicily used uh, to bottle just the 6% of the total production. Meaning the rest was used as bulk wine? Was bulk wine. And the easy market for the Sicilian wine was bulk wine just because a uh, country from whole North Europe, even Russia, used to buy wine from Sicily because wine from Sicily were really rich of color, of body, high alcohol, and they used to cut their wine to have good wines. So the, the, the bottle direction was totally abandoned because the, the market was the easier market was the bulk wine. And then in the 90s, probably in the 80s, was a really totally revolution. I remember when I started to work, we were really few wineries around Sicily, and now we are around uh, 700 wineries that works here. And the uh, production of bottled wine is more than 50%, so it's totally different than before. Alberto's story includes some extreme change, too. He wanted to be a race car driver, not a winemaker. Spending a year at Regali Alley changed his path. The deal was if I win the Italian championship, I will continue or if not. I was second. The first one was an European champion in a go-kart, so I lose. And I decided to come here and spend here a year just to understand how it was. And uh, life here changed to me a lot because, uh, I mean, I was uh, around 21. 
And in 21, you want to do many other things, go around the world, in metropolis, disco, and uh, <laughs> nightlife. And it was totally different. But the, the nice thing is that uh, waking up really early in the morning and going bed like on the evening and uh, very tired because of what you have done all the day. And then every day change because the environment change, because you can feel the season, because the food change, the animal change, people change, everything change. At the end of the year, I thought that the, my previous life was really monotone and here was much more exciting. And then we start to work on details of quality of wine and then I start to work with my palate. It's not so far from the race car, before the car racing, because, I mean, you have to try to work on details, on something that is really thin and to be precise and to, to understand. So it's, I think all the quality all around the world is quite the same. You found a way to channel that intensity and that maybe obsession with details and, and figuring out how things work into what isn't, it's, it's interesting, it's not a life and death situation like racing could be, but you found, you found the thrill in winemaking, carrying on the family business? Yeah, that's happened. I mean, all my family is really competitive. Yeah. My father attended the Olympics game in Rome in, in the 60s. Even my grandfather was a really sporty man. And, uh, what, what did he do in the, in the Olympics? Uh, my grandfather was uh, flying with a small plane and racing all around. And then was a sailing man and it was uh, horse riding. And my father made the Olympic Games in horse riding. That sense of competition, Alberto channeled it into the wine. So uh, just back to the remember that when I w- saw the first market research, the the the, the, the the situation in Sicily was, uh, the reputation was really bad. All the critics recognized that Sicily was really potential, a high potential in terms of quality to produce quality wines. And did you know, did you feel the, the potential? Did you know that the quality was Yes, good? I started to read. I started to read many books about people that was traveling all around Italy and, uh, and details and critics and, and start to study the, the, the systems. The other things that is really nice is... Uh, in the wine industry, but in the agriculture in general, this kind of agriculture that you cannot control nothing about the production. You can interact with nature, but you cannot control it. And so it means that when harvest by harvest, you, don't, you never have two harvests that are equal. And harvest by harvest, you have to prepare different plan, depend what happened. And this is something that is really difficult. So the difficulty, the high competition market, and the huge potential to have was something that attracted me a lot to say, okay, there's a lot of things to do. Why not? Do you want to meet people like the Tascas, learn their traditions, drink wine, and eat pasta with Sicily's best? I've got a program for you. I want to tell you a little bit about SALT. SALT is an acronym for Sea and Land Taste. That's the name of Silver Sea's new immersive culinary program. I'm not just the voice of this podcast, I'm also SALT's director. SALT is all about connecting guests with the food and drink culture of the places they visit. There's a new restaurant and bar focused on changing regional menus. And there's our first ever SALT Lab, a dedicated space for engaging lectures and hands-on cooking lessons. There's also the all-new customized culinary shore excursions, where guests will meet chefs and producers like the ones we talked to on this show. Silver Sea is connecting its guests to the tastes and traditions of the world like never before. Salt launches soon on Silver Sea's newest ship, Silver Moon. Hope to see you aboard. And check out Salt at www.silversea.com slash salt dash silver dash moon dot html.
light, look the green, uh, look the leaf, look the, the body and the structure of this vegetable. I'm happy like all our vines like us here in this amazing world, the Regale Ali. We are so lucky because for the altitude and the difference of soil we are enjoying to work more with more than 50 varietal of grape. But consider to produce wine we use only 22 and in general for white wines we have Insolia, Grecanico, Cataratto, Sauvignon Blanc, Traminer, Chardonnay and um, uh, in terms of red we had uh, Nero Davola, uh, Perricone, in uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and we have some vines of Sierra, Merlot and uh, Alicante and uh, Tanna. Uh, we have a different clone of Nero Davola, a different clone of Pericone. We have Nerello Mascalese, Pinot Noir, Moscato, Traminer and some experimental vines like Viterarolo, Visparolo. That are some historical Sicilian vines and some Greek and Georgian. So different varietal, but these are the, the most important uh, varietal. We have Riesling also and then so different varietal Petit Mansin, Petit Verdot, uh, Cabernet Franc and uh, just to, uh, to experiment to understand the direction and uh, frappato of this varietal. Uh, so we have a lot a lot of different uh, varietal here and we are so happy and so lucky. It's like the Luna Park of viticulture. It's a Luna Park in English, no? It's a, for us, uh, you know, Luna Park is uh, like uh, uh, the place where the kids stay with the uh, Russian mountain and this where you uh, jog, you play. Okay, and we are so lucky because uh, we are really enjoy to work. This is Corrado Morigi. Corrado is 43. He's the estate manager at Regali Alley. Corrado piled us into a Jeep one afternoon to show us the land that he tends to. He's been working for the Tosca family for 17 years, but he talks with the energy of somebody seeing something totally new. Corrado led us into the afternoon traffic, the estate's flock of almost 100 sheep. Then he took us up Regaliali's six major hills, the highest of which put us half a mile above sea level, offering a commanding view of 127 different grape growing plots and the olive groves, the woods, lakes, arable fields, and grazing pastures. From the top, we could see the sun and the moon. There's a wild diversity here that's unexpected and striking. So it's a, we're looking over a beautiful it's a, patchwork. It's so important. It's a beautiful patch, patchwork, yes, but it's important. So the health of the vines, first of all, depend if you have care of the soil. Sure. And this is important. This is what I love of Tasca family. As 17 years that I work with them, I trust in them. Why? Because they don't think to be the owner, but the temporary guardian of the Sicilian miracle. Means that the biodiversity help us to continue to give, uh, to guarantee to the next generation the soil. With chickpea, with wheat, we use these uh, like uh, to, to guarantee new vines every year. So every year we can decide to remove 5, 15, 10 hectares of vineyard, some old vineyard, 
and with plants in the new, uh, the new land, the new soil. So have it, soil, having the fava, having the exactly the that's give richness. It, it, it means in, the, the soil is ready to receive the vines. The when, vines when because you're ready it's to so rich there. in nitrogen. Right. Is these so, so not only do you get great food and great. Uh, things for dinner here, but you have you're ready to the, you're ready for the soil to to take on new vines. Yeah, yes, yeah. but it's the process to arrive to have a wine. For our for us, the mission is to have a, a clear wine that talk about the place where you come from. Right. But it's so important the way to arrive to this wine. So we respect the soil. As I said before, we don't use herbicide, pesticide. We're rich in, in nitrogen, tanks of fava beans or different kind of grass. We leave the cane after the pruning and we fix into the soil. We have the biodiversity. We reduce the, the weight of the bottle in this way. Also the impact of trucks during the transport is less. We produce energy thanks to the sun. So we use organic material uh, to tie the vines here. So is, uh, is this the attention that we have to, um, for our vines to produce wine? It's, it's, it's all in the service of, of making the vines as healthy and uh, yielding the, the best uh, wine possible, the most sustainable. Uh, yes, we try. After yeah. the palate of the consumers <laughs> decide if it's the best wine or they like the wine. But we want to talk about this place. Uh, through the, the wine. We want to return in the original idea of wine. Because first of all, what is it the wine? Wine is a social message. Through the glass you can talk about different cultures, different people, different areas. So we want to communicate this small continent, Sicily, all around the world through the glass. So in an amazing way. <laughs> and what is the communication? What's the message of Sicilian wine? Ah, the, first of all, uh, we communicate, as I said before, no, the difference of soil. That's in Sicily, we have a different kind of wine. Especially, for example, I wanna, the, the message is that Sicily in the past was famous only for bulk production. Right. We want to communicate that Sicily is in a, one of the most important uh, viticulture areas around the world because for the difference of soil, the weather, the micro weather and the difference of varietal, so it is a good surprise understand and, uh, and, and drink this kind of wine. The message is that we are so lucky under this kind of sun, this kind of weather and wind, so we, uh, we are really lucky all around in Sicily. God protect us and our vineyard. The message is that a group of viticulture um, of, uh, of people, of producers, winemakers, stay together, all together, to talk about this great island. That's in the past, the people consider only for um, something like mafia or right. back production. Right. No, it's so different. We have a great energy, a new ferment, new generation, and different area. This is the message from Sicily. Sicily is unique. This place just looks healthy. I mean, we're here, we're, it's after harvest. There are no grapes on the vines, but you look out at the, at the fields and it's full of life. It's full of color. It's full of, yeah, as we're saying, a beautiful patchwork of these different things growing here. It feels very alive. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing to look at. And this is, a, is a, another thing that's make as I said before, Regaleali unique. 
So because uh, so I'm I'm so tired about the vineyard so totally clean yeah. without grass like yeah. flu. No, in this way you understand the powerful of soil and season by season you can see you have a different patchwork, a different color. Oh, it's incredible. Well, the this. vines are just one you know, part of the community of, the, yes. of what's living here. What's ah, it's the here. most important uh, the most part important, the, of the community. The royalty, the royalty. Every but. vine is a life. And then we respect the soil, we respect the plants, we respect the ambient. It's so important this. So first of all, we are agricultural people. This is our mission, this is our desire, this is our DNA. Ciao Carmelo! Ciao! Buongiorno caro, come stai? Tutto a posto. Com'è oggi? Una bella giornata. Stamattina Corrado parked the jeep and we marched uphill into a plot of Graconico vines. The fruit grown here makes up about 20% of the blend for Regali Ale Bianco, Tosca's most popular wine. It's a wine that tastes like the wildflowers and floral grasses alive in these fields. The man Corrado was speaking with, that's Carmelo Leone. Carmelo is a capo squadra, one of Regaliali's four field managers. He's 49 and has worked for Tosca for almost 30 of those years. Today, he's supervising a team of about 20 workers pruning the vines. Carmelo controls his team and the guys, and they guarantee the healthy and the good quality for our grapes. Consider that now, so after the pruning, they take the cane, make this uh, curve, why? To guarantee that the lymph give energy in the single buds okay. here. And after, in, the, in spring, we have another pruning. This is a winter pruning. Okay. We will have a green pruning. They talk about pruning for 15 minutes. The importance of tending to the vines, the gift here of altitude and varied soil types that they say bring focus and clarity to each bottling. Mostly, Corrado and Carmelo talk in poetic terms about the balance between human intervention and letting nature run its course. During the winter, we don't work the soil, mm. but we leave the natural grass. Also, we use some, some, we use some specific uh, seeds like fava beans, for example, okay. to reach in nitrogen the soil. But all around, if you can see, we don't have only vineyard, but we have uncultivated area top in the hill that's very important for natural insects, for bees. We have our bees, we produce honey, our garden, uh, especially in this area, we have an amazing tomato. This kind of tomato is, the name is Siccagno di Valle d'Olmo. Grazie Carmelo! Ciao ragazzi, grazie mille! Piacere, piacere! Grazie! In 1882, the German composer Richard Wagner stayed at the Tosca family home in Palermo, Villa Tosca, to work on the opera Parsifal about the elusive and world-changing power of the Holy Grail and the arduous quest to be in its presence. The Tosca family has been on a quest all these years too, not to find a sacred chalice, but to fill our glasses with the results of their efforts. The Toscas overcame phylloxera, bandits, land reform, and a kidnapping. They planted international varietals like Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon for the first time in Sicily, even when such a thing was illegal. And as Corrado showed us, 
They're working with so many indigenous varietals for bottling and experimentation. Tasca del Almerita was named Europe's best winery earlier this year by wine enthusiasts, in part because of their staunch commitment to sustainability, care for the island, and setting high standards for Sicily's wine industry as a whole. Besides Regaliali, their 1830 cornerstone, the Tosca family has opened four more vineyards across the Sicily region between 2001 and 2009, ranging from Campo Faro in the Aeolian Islands to Tenuta Tascante on the slopes of Mount Etna. Alberto Tosca sits on the boards of Asovini and DOC Sicilia, the governing bodies of Sicilian wine legislature and consortium efforts. He's the president of the Sustain Foundation, an initiative focused on the promotion and certification of sustainable winemaking in Sicily. Alberto Tosca has come a long way from a silver medal and a race car. Okay, andiamo da Alberto. We go to Alberto, he wait for us. Good. Today we will eat now at lunch one of my favorite pasta. It's made from with uh, wild herbs that you find in the vineyards. It's called Cavoluzzi di Vigna. Cavoluzzi? Cavoluzzi di Vigna. Yeah. What is, what is Cavoluzzi? It's like Cavolo is a wild herbs. It's natural herbs that you can find with a small yellow flower. And if you go out and walk in the vineyard, you can find plenty. And it's a little bit bitter. It's between bitter and sweet together, and, and it's, I love it. What we ate between wine tastings at Regali Alley had a magnificence all its own. The food alone would have been reason enough for a trip. Over fried artichokes, Alberto explained the complexities of life as a winemaker. Feeling, work, if you work in a vineyard, and you, your habit is to work in a vineyard, you can feel it. They show you how they are. And you can feel it, you can smell, you can, you can see. I don't know, it's something that is not really scientific. <laughs> at the moment, but it's a personal feeling. And yet, it's not only that. So you cannot be just uh, instinctive, you cannot be really only emotional, you cannot be only, on, only what you prefer, but you have to study and what's going on, what is right and what is wrong. He also took great care to explain that at Regali Ali, the food and wine are deeply integrated. Alberto told me, quote, you spend half the day talking about wine and the other half talking about food which sounds like a pretty good work-life balance to me. The cavaluzzi he talked up was tube-shaped, and the field herbs were blended into a kind of bitter pesto. One night at dinner, served next to the fire, we ate pasta con la fava, incorporating the beans that helped enrich the fields. It's exactly the kind of dish in Sicily that connects the plate to the vine and the current moment to ancient times. Here's Mary Taylor Semedi again. The Greeks didn't eat fava beans. Uh, because Pythagoras, the, the philosopher, said that the, the hollow stalk of the fava plant was the conduit between the underworld and the souls of the dead would travel up and down in fava bean stalks. So the, you didn't want to eat fava beans because you might take a bite of grandma, I guess. We're talking about 700 to 500 B.C. or 300 B.C. So the Romans really brought the cultivation. I, I, they were probably cultivating them before, but there was all this superstition under the uh, in the Greek era. Uh, the Romans loved them. There's a, a soup called maku, which is made of dried fava beans, and it, sometimes it has pasta in it, and sometimes it's just a sort of a potage. But... Uh, apparently was one of the great favorites of Caesar Augustus when he was on the road with his legions. 
food, Alberto explained, also carries a competitive spirit all across the island, but in his family too. Competition is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was totally part of the family. And then we have, of course, different opinion and it was always discussion about this different opinion, uh, how tasting difference. And there is, uh, I mean, Regaliali is made in by two buildings. You know, there is Casa Grande and Casa Vecchia. And even Casa Grande and Casa Vecchia, they have all the, the green garden and we cultivate our tomatoes, our salad, and I think. And there is a really huge competition between the two <laughs> gardeners. So they don't know, my tomato is better. No, mine's better. <laughs> and then when you hit canola from Casa Grande and the canola from Casa Vecchia, you, you can fight for hours <laughs> and, and that, that's part of the game. But I think this, this is a good energy because go in the direction to, to improve. Just never be in comfort zone and try to improve. Casa Grande is Alberto's domain. Casa Vecchia is where his cousin, Fabrizia Lanza, runs the stunningly beautiful cooking school founded by her legendary mother, Ana Tasca Lanza. The cooking class and the, the approach that Fabrizia has and uh, that starts with her mother has a really uh, strong impact here in terms of energy. So the, what they do is not just studying the execution of what they cook, but where what you were cooking, where it came from, and how is well in a natural way comes from agriculture and what kind of agriculture. So even there, the, the approach to biodynamic, organic sustainability is really strong. The recipes that they, they found was, uh, there are really uh, richness, it's a really other treasure because they, uh, before her mother and then her knocking on the door and then really home by home to find recipes all around so they know very well how the traditions start and uh, they had a really strong historical approach and uh, I think it's really important in general and whatever you do to know why you are doing something where it come from and where are you going so the direction of all of it and this is uh, part of the, the high quality of course the canola that we produce here is much better than compared to the canola that she produced <laughs> but it's, i mean she will improve now as part of the competition is there and uh, we fight a lot about food but we're laughing and and i think it's really nice because she's bringing a lot of uh, new students here and when you have students here you learn a lot even from the student because you see where they are their energy they made really nice question and uh, I think the process, that uh, the, the, the project that she's bringing out is something unique and I uh, really love it. A Sicilian family food fight with a family that takes food, wine, farming and eating together as seriously as the Tascas? We're not missing that. So stay tuned for the second part of our trip to Sicily. We're going down the road to Casa Vecchia to cook and eat with the inimitable Fabrizia Lanza. Food has been always extremely import important in our family. So food has been a, a great tool to put us together around the table, to quarrel, to love each other. And my grandmother would um, ship when I was living out, out of Sicily in the north, so she would ship me tomato sauce, uh, oregano, all sorts of things. It's a way of keeping you tight, no? That's Fabrizia. You won't want to miss her and part two of our Sicilian adventure. Salt Lab Radio is produced for Silver Sea Cruises by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn at Freetime Media. 
Episode music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Alberto Tasca, Angela Cotton, Alessandro Grassi, Ivo Basile, Gabriela Garajo, Anissa Halu, Mary Taylor Semetti, Barbara Muckerman, Barbara Beefy, Elena Moriando, Jesse Stormo, Sheila Donnelly, and Evan Block. And I'm your host, Adam Sachs. Salt Lab Radio is brought to you by Silver Sea Cruises. With more than a thousand destinations over seven continents, including exclusive culinary adventures on the all-new Silver Moon, Silver Sea travels deeper. 